People of Earth, if you can hear my voice, you have arrived at another episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope. I'm your host, Brent Pope. My guest today is Bob Schechter, a veteran TV writer, a moderately funny man, his words, not mine, and an aficionado of collecting albums, and he's also very knowledgeable about the Beatles, and we will talk all about that. And that's not all. We had Breakfast from Blackheart Coffee, which is one of my new favorite places, uh, full disclosure, in the valley to go with my computer. So, I hope you got two turntables and a microphone. Actually, we need two microphones because we're both in here because we have Bob Schechter today on Breakfast. Pick it up! Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. <laughs> I could go on a Hallmark card. My uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. I didn't need any extra sausage. He adds character to my crew. <laughs> Is a goat pit a real thing? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food, too. I'm always playing blue-collar guys. Somebody screw through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. I love a crawler. All my uncles got the gout. Jalapeno slash cheddar waffles. Who doesn't love that? It's Breakfast time. Breakfast. The only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. Bob Schechter, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me into your psychedelic room over here. It is kind of psychedelic, isn't it? It is. It's very hypnotic with the lights. So the lights are kind of hypnotic. Do you find that soothing? Because some people find it very, they're like, can we turn those lights off? For me, it's kind of soothing. If you need to wake me up, you'll know that it was a little too low-key, but it's (laughs) interesting. So something I just thought of as we were just talking, when I'm writing, because you're you're known mostly as a writer, and I think that's your kind of your passion that, well, yes. in life and how you make most of your money is through writing. So when you are writing, are you one of those people that I have a soundtrack of stuff that I listen to while I write? While you write. Instead of just the ambient noises, it bugs me. But if I have a certain thing, for me, it's all these 70s disco with no words. Okay, that's kind of what I listen to. Silver, what is that place called? Silver, Silver Connection, was it? Silver something. Fly, Fly, Fly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. I listen to stuff like that. Silver Convention, yes, correct. Is there something like that you listen to, or do you... I try to get pumped up for it before I start okay. writing. I'll listen to some comedy uh, that I like. Yeah. You know, a lot of the old stuff, more yeah. so. When you're writing for a sitcom... When you're writing for other voices, it'll put you in a way of thinking, you know, trying to... It'll mess with your head so that you're thinking a different way, and and that's helpful. And then I'll put on some, as you said, Beatle music for yeah. a while. That'll get me in the mood. And then I'll turn it all off, because I have to... I would try to focus. You and I have both worked in the educational fields, too, like teaching kids. So it is interesting to... Cause just like different kids learn in different ways or with some of them need music, some of them don't need music, some need quiet, some of them need to be holding something in their hand or whatever. It's similar with creating stuff, all creative things that we do, right? So, um, well, the, the kids would teach me who's current. You know, every once in a while I'd ask them, who do you like? Who do you listen to? Yeah. And they think I'm putting, they feel pressure all of a sudden. I go, you're not getting graded on this. I, I'm just curious, who do you listen to? Yeah. So w- when the kids do that yeah. and you listen to them, do you f- do you like any of the stuff? Do you, some of it you're like, I get what they what they like about it, but it's not my thing? I'm trying to find something. The last one I can remember was Billie Eilish. I never heard of Billie Eilish, but I had, you know, uh, half a dozen kids in one day mm-hmm. mention Billie Eilish. Yeah. What do you think of Billie Eilish's music? I'm not a fan, I'll be honest. I think she's interesting. Yeah. 
But when I have to turn up the volume to hear her, yeah. you know, it kind of takes something away from it. I think she's kind of unique right now, and she's very, I, I think, talented. Her and her brother, like, kind of do that stuff right. together, right? Here's an interesting story. I don't, I, there was a school that I was working at, and they had, there was a contest a few years back. It must have been, I don't know, 2018. They had a contest. Yeah, what maybe. school could register the most new voters, right? And the school that, the school that I was at, they registered the most voters. The prize was Billie Eilish is going to come sing during lunch. Wow. And this was before she broke, this is before she was like on SNL right. as a musical guest. But it was interesting because she, you know, her personality is just like interesting. She was dropping some F-bombs. Well, she, she said, this is the first time I've ever been set foot on a high school campus because she was homeschooled. Okay. Yeah. But it was interesting to see someone uh, when they're about to make it really big and then two years later big. Wow, I was watching this girl play at a high school during lunch two years ago, and now she's on SNL. I know, yeah. I never got there, but good for her. Well, oh, yeah. Well, neither one of us <laughs> want to play our music <laughs> during lunch at a high school. Um, so you grew up in yeah. New York, right? You started out Brooklyn. in New York, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. New what York, makes yeah. Brooklyn the best? Is it the best part of New York, and why? And why? I didn't know there was going to be a quiz here. Well, um, I don't know. I'm just curious. What it, I growing up in Brooklyn for me, at least. I never had to leave. You know, I, I had friends and whatever it is that they couldn't wait to spend more time in Manhattan. To them, that's the city, you know? My attitude was, why? Whatever's there is going to come to Brooklyn eventually. Yeah. And I had my little world set up over there. Movies would open in Manhattan, eventually came there. But I was more into, we had a uh, TV studio near the house. Okay. Where I lived. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in there. When I was a teenager. Now, is that so? So, is that the TV studio in your neighborhood? Is that the first thing where you were kind of like, oh, really inspired you to do? It was an NBC, at that time, an an NBC studio. I have since learned and done some research that it actually goes back to silent movies that they shot there. Really? When I was growing up, they did a show called The Craft Music Hall, a variety show. And every week, new hosts, new acts, whatever it was. And I used to go there, I'll say every other week, you know, would stand in line and go to a, a taping, which would, for an hour show, would take about six or seven hours. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, depending on how many mu- how much music they had. Now, was it six or seven hours because just because they had such a volume of performers, or was it like a lot of setup time in between? Stop and start. Stop yeah. and start. Yeah. If they had uh, musicians, you know, they may hear something you don't hear in the audience as far as being a problem. Yeah. And they would stop. And you... Oh, jeez. Oh, so they were filming. It's, it is live, recorded yeah. live. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Who were some of the cool people that you, that you saw there? In one show, I remember going to see, it was Phil Silver's, Sid Caesar and mm-hmm. Milton Berle. They were uh, all three on, on one show. And I just remember Phil Silver's doing a monologue as Bilko. And this is years after Bilko was off the air. And he was amazing. He did it in one take. As compared to like Milton Berle who had to stop and start. He would stop and start. When he would make a mistake, he would go off on one of his little tangents and they had a refocus him, if you will. Yeah. You know, what I mostly know Phil Silvers from, it's a mad, mad, mad world. 63. Right? Yeah, so that's before I was born, but he was Show so, off. well, <laughs> he was so funny in that. That was one of the first movies I saw where I was like, God, this is just like a million stars in this movie. That's what it was, yeah. Um, 
you know. Well, it's like everybody who was in show business was in that movie. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of any of them that are still around. Uh, can't think of anybody. Gosh, I don't know. Well, that's cool. Phil Silver, Sid Caesar, who I know is a legendary comedian. But and, you know him from well, I, Greece. I, sure, I know him from Greece as the coach. He's brilliant on that. You know, he's, and we're going to rip him up. And we're going <laughs> to... Ho- that's why he has me here, so he can do these noises for you. No. <laughs> Look, he's so great in the in you know I, I'm sure you've seen Greece. Yes, it's just some of my favorite parts of that movie is when Sid Caesar is trying to figure out which sport is right for uh, Danny Zuko to play. He's like, okay, maybe running long distance. Running. He's memorized the movie also. It's wonderful. <laughs> Well, it's I mean, it's been like the soundtrack of my life. Uh, you know, it's to me, it's an iconic movie. I used to work at this Borders in Glendale uh-huh. uh, back in the '90s when I first moved to LA, and Eugene, who was the nerd in Greece, yes, would come into the store all the time, and I was like, kind of starstruck by Eugene coming in there. He was the nerd in in the movie. I want to hold your hand. Was that a Beatles movie? It wasn't. Well, it was about them. It was about a group of teenagers who wanted to get into the Plaza Hotel when the Beatles first came here. Oh. And it was how they did it. And he when was, did that come out? Uh, I want to say the early 80s, probably. Yeah. Okay, I think I kind of remember it. I don't know if I ever saw it, but interesting. I have one on you then. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> you have a lot on me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so growing up in Brooklyn. That... I would go, I'd go to the... Uh, I'd go to these tapings all the time, and, and after a while, I would, after school, go and bring it in the rehearsals and watch. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I, you know, I see all these people on the on the stage who you don't recognize. They're not the performers. And walking around with, like, this self-importance. You know, they may have a, a clipboard on their arm or whatever it was, or pages. And I'm thinking, I have no idea who these people are. Yeah. I want to be them. You know, I, yeah, and it was great. It's it like you great. see, I, I've, I, I, you know, I, I totally get that. You see, these people are like, these guys seem like they're, they got this cool, important job, and that they don't have to be in front of the camera. Why not? Why, why wouldn't you want to be one of them? And they're there. You yeah. know, they didn't have to uh, sneak in the side. That's true. Like yeah, I did, yeah. Know? They're like, yeah, I belong here. Yeah. Obviously, that's their thing. Yeah. Yeah. We talk sometimes about food and drinks on this show. Uh, one thing that I always get when I'm in New York is an egg cream. Right. Right. First of all, are you a fan of the egg cream? Am I a fan? Yeah. I don't belong to the club, but yeah. <laughs> Is there? Do you even know of a place in Los Angeles where you can get an egg cream? I don't. I'm, I don't think I've ever had one here. Yeah. When I, I was just back east um, and at a family, family home in Massachusetts. Okay. And my cousin's husband gave us a lesson in making egg cream. What was that? I mean, I'm curious. It was chocolate syrup, seltzer water, uh-huh. and I believe some milk. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't. I didn't take notes. All I know is that there wasn't enough syrup in it. And you want to go, oh, this is great. This is great. This is not an egg cream. You know? <laughs> but, are there other types of egg creams that are not chocolate, like different flavors, do you know? Yeah, like margaritas, right? They just change the flavor. Yeah, I don't know. They can. I have no idea. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like that. It's just That just seems like such a New York thing, though. The egg cream is just, like to me, synonymous with... I always took them for granted. I never looked. Yeah, of course, because you, you, know? you grew up with them, yeah. What's your favorite? No egg, though. That was the, that's the part I don't understand. There is no egg There's in no it. There's no egg in egg cream. Well, there wasn't. That's so strange. I don't know why they call it that. Yeah, I guess I'd have to look it up and I see. I think whoever invented it hung out in a room like this 
for a while, you know, and then they're just, <laughs> yeah, they're just came, like, <laughs> he, he came to him in a vision, you know. How about an egg cream, man? Egg cream, yeah. <laughs> is there something that's kind of created New York food-wise that you're just like, this is, I got to have this all the time, even though I live in L.A. for years? I think the big thing has been egg rolls. Really? Yeah. What's... Uh, because um, I know when, I, if I was going back by myself, I'd have to bring back for the family uh, these thick egg rolls that you get uh, as compared to the thin little yeah. spring rolls. Yep, 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 yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I'd bring those back, and if, I, and if I didn't have any with me, it's like, all right, get back on the plane, you know, and, <laughs> and don't come back. Were you a fan of... Uh... Any of like the comedy clubs back then were those were those big at that time when you lived there or were they? Well, they weren't as plentiful yeah. as they are now. Uh, I think the Improv was the one that was there for the longest. Just before I left, they opened up a few others. Yeah, you know that have since become very big. But when I was, it was the Improv was the big, the big place. Yeah, and we'd go there. I saw, oh, who's the comedy team? From Saturday Night Live, he was senator of Minnesota for a while. Oh, Al Franken? Al Franken and Davis. Oh. I remember seeing Franken and Davis as a team at the Improv before Saturday Night Live. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Were you writing in New York? So I know you moved out here late 70s, like 79, 70, something like 79, that? 79, right. So uh, were you, is there stuff that you were writing in New York, and then you got the itch to come to L.A.? It had nothing to do with itch. It had to do with practicality. Okay. Uh, at that point, other than news programs and soap operas, the only thing being done in New York was Saturday Night Live. Uh-huh. Maybe an odd pilot or so was shot in New York, but everything else was out here. So just much more, many more things to work on out here, potentially. There was nothing yeah. there. Okay. I went, I remember going back to one of my college professors who had worked in live TV he worked with, like, Jimmy Durante in yeah. that whole era when he was doing television. And I asked him, I'd never seen a script. I had no idea what the format was and whatever it was. And all he had was uh, variety, uh, Rowan and Martin scripts, maybe, yeah. something like that, which wasn't helpful. You know, I'm I'm trying to write a, uh, a script for Mesh, and the Rowan and Martin format just didn't work. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, let me ask you that because that's interesting because you, you've worked on a lot. You've written on a lot of different TV shows. Right. Is there a specific format of show that you prefer? And also when you're working on something like that's animated or, or live action, I mean, what's the big difference for you between those two when you're writing? I think an animation script is more, to me, is more like a movie because a sitcom script, you've got, you know, four or five sets. Uh-huh. And that's what, you know, you don't have to write much of the action. All right, we're in this room, they're sitting on the couch, you know, a big action may be somebody enters yeah. or something. As compared to animation, you write everything. You write all the action as it's happening, as the character is talking, what else are they doing? It's got to be a lot of movement. So it's in your mind, it's much more visual. So a lot more descriptive stuff you need to do in the yeah. animated ones. Yeah, that makes sense. One show that you worked on a little bit uh, that was kind of like, I feel like it was like a show that was on throughout my entire teenage years was the Out of This World. I worked for a season on Out of This World. That's got to be an interesting show to work on because you're talking about a girl that's, I guess, is an alien, right? Half alien. She's half alien. She can stop time. Um, you remember it better than I do. Yes, she can stop, stop time. And her father, the alien, was Burt Reynolds. Really? The voice coming out of the box 
I never met Burt Reynolds. Yeah. The uh, producer of the show was friends with him and would take the dialogue, take the pages to his house out by the beach or wherever it was and record them there. So none of us at the studio, at least, I never met Burt Reynolds. God, that's a really smart way to get Burt Reynolds on your show is to like just say, like, hey, we're just going to record you at your house and you don't have to even come in. The original idea for one of the characters, I don't know if you remember, there was a um, the mayor of the town that they lived in was... He was a well-known actor uh, for television uh, westerns, and but they originally wanted Clayton Moore, who was the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore. He was yeah. the Lone Ranger. They originally wanted him wow. for that role, but he wouldn't do it without the mask, even though he wasn't. He was supposed to be a retired actor, okay. known for a role like that, but he wasn't doing it anymore. So when he'd be on camera, he didn't have to wear the outfit, and he refused to be seen on camera, even, you know, 25, 30 years after the last, after he was done with it, he wouldn't be seen on camera without the mask. So Clayton Moore, the original Lone, Lone Ranger, Ranger, you're telling me that that's interesting, because yeah. a lot of people are like, well, I want to be seen without the mask. He's like, this is what I'm identified with. So I want to, that's really interesting. Well, I, I had read that that's what he was like in the day when he would do personal appearances. Uh-huh. He would have to have the mask. But this was many years later. And he's playing a guy who used to used be. Used to be. Uh, but he still wouldn't do it without the mask. He may have had a skin problem. I don't know what the hell's going on. Who knows? Some people like to really be identified with that character. I mean, I guess I get it. He's played that character for so long, and, and it was so popular. I wonder if Mian even got married in that mask, you know, behind closed doors. <laughs> Imagine in our days now, he would be totally uninteresting because everyone's wearing a mask. I was just thinking of that. Wouldn't it be like wearing the mask over his eyes and over his mouth at the same time? He might be into it, or he might have been into he it. He might have really been into that. I didn't know him that well, all right? I only heard the story. I, I, I can't say I was friends with Clayton Moore. Tonto, well, I think, would have enjoyed it. Was that Jay Silverheels? Is that Jay Silverheels. Yeah. So tell me about some, you know, some of the shows that you worked on that you think were... Well, first of all, what's the first one you worked on where you're like, you kind of saw it and you're like, oh, this is cool. Now I'm a TV writer. Well, the first one, if somebody asked me what I worked on, the, uh, the first one, and I try to keep it to this one, is I worked on the Magic School Bus. Yeah, sure. Uh, Lily Tomlin and a whole bunch of kids. That was probably the biggest credit, yeah. the most impressive one. Uh, everything else, the live action stuff mostly was syndicated, you know, so they sold the show and then they aired it whenever they had a free slot. Now, did you get to meet Dilly Tomlin? I met her once. They used to, re- they would record most of the time in New York, but occasionally it would be in L.A. And um, I was told that they were doing it at a studio near her in Studio City. And... Um, I got to meet her. I yeah. got her autograph on a uh, <sighs> Edith cool. Ann album. What? Yeah. Edith Ann, her famous, like, she would play this little girl character in a, she was like in a giant rocking chair, I, so it would make And that her. was the cover of the album. Oh, really? You know, and um, very nice woman. I mean, it, it was a very pleasant such time. A, that's such a great character. I just have so many fun members. Look, I, several times, I talked about it on the show, three or four times I went to, like, final callbacks for uh, Grace and Frankie, which is her and right. uh, Jane Fonda. And if they, I, honestly, if they had told me, like, hey, it's down to you two guys. Will you do it for free? I would have done it for free to work with Lily Tom. Honestly, I swear to God, I would have done that. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of hers. She was very nice. 
And the one embarrassing thing is uh, one of the bigger episodes that they did was a Christmas episode about recycling. And uh, Lily Tomlin was very good friends with Dolly Parton. And they recorded it out here and made a big event out of it. There was uh, a lot of press. Uh, Entertainment Tonight came out to cover this. And I brought my family to the recording. And they had a... um, Craft services table. My daughter at this point would have been like four years old. Okay. No idea what was going on, right? And I'm I'm feeling all this pressure because I didn't write this episode, but I kind of felt like in a way I represented the show. Right. Being there. And all my daughter saw was a table full of food. And Lily Tomlin was at the table at the craft service table, standing next to my four year old daughter and trying to make conversation with her. She go, ah, oh, so uh, when you grow up, you want to be an actress? My daughter had no idea who this woman was. Didn't care. All she saw was food. So she ignored her. Uh, Lily Tomlin tried a second time to start a conversation with her. Got absolutely nothing. And I'm thinking, and I'm dying, right? Yeah. I, I'm thinking, this all reflects on me. Right. I'll never work again, which was almost true. Um, <laughs> It was terrible. And finally, the last thing I heard Lily Tomlin say to Ashley, my daughter, was, well, I hope one day uh, you become famous and some little girl ignores you. <laughs> Why'd she say that? I was like, oh, God, I'm still getting over the migraine years later. And uh, I got to say, that's 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 legendary, though. That's almost like that's like if Don Rickles came up and just insulted you, you'd be like, oh. That's... Yeah, but Rickles, you're expecting it. From. Right, I know. <laughs> I think this is a little more personal, and it's just like, oh, God. Even now, the fact that she ignored her, I wouldn't blink. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's the way she is. Yeah. But in that time, I felt all this undue pressure that it's all me. It's like, oh, my God. And I don't let Ashley forget about it. She doesn't care, but I don't let her forget. Look, I know you've worked on a bunch of cool shows. You're very good at just like poo-pooing everything like, oh, that's not a big deal. But come on, you've been around for a long time. You've worked on a lot of cool stuff. A long time. I'm a, I've been listening to this guy, Jack Benny. He's on his way up. You may, you may have heard. Jack Benny! And uh, yeah, I think he's going to go places. you got to hear this right? guy play the violin. He's, uh, uh... <laughs> good luck with that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, he actually did play. Yeah. Not for me, but he played. Yeah. You had told me, not that I just want to get sto- have you tell stories that were... that You bought me food. Trauma- so trauma- to... Traumatic to you, right? But I did buy you food, yeah. You so now you have food, to tell so all your traumatic... Yeah. <laughs> you told me a story about you had never met Bob Newhart in person. Oh, thank you for that. All right, yeah. yes. I, I know I've never met Bob Newhart, but my wife and I wrote a spec script for the Newhart show when he was... Um, when he played the owner of an inn... Right, in, in Vermont. Uh, Vermont. In Vermont, right. I'm Larry, my, this is my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. Exactly, exactly. Well, uh, we wrote a, a script for that on spec. Mm-hmm. And a friend of a friend's father, right? This is, welcome to Hollywood. This is a connection here. A friend of a friend's father was friends with Bob Newhart. Yeah. And I got him a copy of our script, and he got it to Newhart. Wow. Which was like, great. And then, I don't know how long it was, some weeks, maybe a couple of months later, we got him back with a note from Newhart on Newhart on his own stationery, tearing us apart. And it feels like that, you know? Yeah. They tell you you need a rhino skin in this business. You don't take it personally. You don't take it personally. You take it personally. 
You well, know? especially when it's somebody you probably, I'm guessing you really admired his comedy. I thought I had his voice down and it, it wasn't the dialogue. It's not like we didn't have the characters. It was tell, how to tell a story. It was more about the construct of the script. You know, and with 30 years hindsight, he was right. At that time, you want to open a vein when you get something like that. Right. He just ripped us apart. It was not the best night for me around me. But unfortunately for a lot of people, I stuck it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept at it. So. Well, uh, that's interesting. So what do you take from that? I mean, because there's a couple things you could do. You could let it just kind of, like you said, you stuck it out. So it didn't destroy you and your, you know, your want to kind of hang out here and, and write in Hollywood. My wrist stayed closed, which was, an, which was amazing. Well, so obviously right. it was very traumatic to you at first. Yeah. Has that changed over time? Does it does it motivate you or is it? Well, when uh, I look at Bob Newhart now, I don't feel so bad getting ripped apart by him. <laughs> I think I think if it came down to it, I could take him. Yeah. If, if oh yeah, for sure. That. Yeah. Bob Schechter's got a good right hook. Everyone knows this, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Bob Newhart's got a glass jaw. Everyone also knows this. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even his own. He's had it replaced. <laughs> That's right. God knows how many times. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was a, a, hard, a rough one. It wasn't the only rejection we ever had, but it was the most high-profile one. Yeah, we ever got. I mean, why why do you think it affected you that much? Because to me, I understand. I trust me. I'm an actor. I go on all these auditions, and I've look. I walked out of an audition one time where I had to do like a, uh, I think a Mexican accent or something, and it's something I ended up booking. But they said do it American accent, then do it Mexican accent, and I finished the audition. And I left, and I go, oh, God, I left my backpack in the room. So I sneak back into the room, and they're like, his Mexican accent was terrible. And I was like, hey, okay. guys, just, uh, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, so I get it. But See, I, I think actors have it worse than writers. Yeah. Writers, they'll reject you or they'll send it back to your agent mm -hmm. or however that works. You're kind of removed from it. And with push-ups and stuff, they are critiquing your work, your yeah. writing. Yeah. Okay. I've been in a room when somebody's going through actors' um, headshots. Yeah. And, oh, look at the nose on this one. Look at, look at the hairstyle. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's like they're tearing yeah. them yeah. apart, their physical being. Right, right. That's got to be a lot worse. Maybe. Not, uh, not in the moment when you right, get rejected, right. but, yeah. you know. Well, but I guess what I was, I was, I was getting at is, you know, the fact that I don't think Bob Newhart writes letters back to people if he doesn't see some kind of potential. If it's just absolute, he was doing it as a favor to his yeah. Friend. If it's absolute crap, I don't think he responds at all. Yeah. There's potential there. He's like, okay, I think this. I think it is easy to take it personally, but I think it's also like I don't think he responds unless he thinks it's close to being you're, something good. You're defending Bob Newhart. He doesn't have a show anymore. I'm not defending you know him. <laughs> I'm not defending him. I'm defending that younger you. I don't think that it's as bad as you think it was. I think it was like it was. I know how it felt, I, of course. That's all I can remember. You yeah. Know, I can't quote it to you right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, yeah, how it felt was horrible. Thank you for reminding me but, of that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, if yours went by, I guess you know, I would— thoughts are always nice. I would, I would be flattered that I was—I have—I mean, I would have that framed probably, just like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I haven't I'm gotten around to that one Maybe yet. I'm sadistic in that way. <laughs> I like to— we, we sold—one of the first things is I sold jokes to— 
Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. I never met Dangerfield. Yeah. But we knew, again, through a, a friend who had sold him. Somebody. Now, where where was this? Where are you when you're selling jokes? Out here. And, what, and for what? For stand-up? For yeah, stand-up. You know, I got no respect, you know, in that whole... Oh, yeah, dude. You'll, there's, you'll find no no bigger Rodney Dangerfield fan than me. I mean, I, I think that guy was just, like, brilliant. We sold him. He paid very well, actually, for one-liner. He paid very nicely, and... A short time later, he was on The Tonight Show, and it was part of his monologue. What? And we have an audio cassette of it, because we couldn't afford a VCR at that point. Right. Uh, we had an audio, and all you hear is us screaming. He did our joke. What was the Do you remember the joke? I do. The joke was, again, you know, I get no respect. I called Alcoholics Anonymous. They told me it was Miller time. Ah! What? <laughs> That's and great. That's great. He, we went to see him live, uh, wherever he was playing out here, and realized what he did is he took that joke and rewrote it like half a dozen times. He had one suicide prevention. I called suicide prevention. They put me on hold. Yeah. Um, all different ones. He took the one I premise and rewrote yeah. it. That one I have. Frame. That's awesome. The handwritten um, note that we got from. You think somebody like Dangerfield, his his delivery is just so, and his voice is so kind of unique. Do you think a lot of his jokes, if he doesn't deliver them, it doesn't quite hit the same way? Well, if you read about him, he worked at it a long time. He quit the business at one point. He was a comedian named Jack Roy, and went nowhere. Really? He quit and was selling. For years, he was selling aluminum siding on yeah. the East Coast. And he did very well because he would do jokes while selling the aluminum siding. Eventually, he came back as Rodney Dangerfield yeah. and developed that persona. But that wasn't immediate. That took years. And, yeah, I think in that voice, you need to know that character for that stuff to work. But you, that, the thing is, if, I guess if you're writing jokes for him, too, you know that character, so you write with that in mind. Well, you got to hear that voice. you got to be able to word it as if it was he was saying yeah. it. The way you word a joke is very important, depending on who you're writing it for. you got to write, if you're writing it for someone else, yeah. you got to have to have their voice down. That character, his attitude is, and maybe you're like this, too, that's one thing that motivates me is, like, Either I either I feel like it's true, or I, if I need to, I make it up in my head that no one thinks that I'm good at this, and no one respects me as an actor, and that type of thing, and that kind of motivates me. And I also just kind of use, it's a joke at home too, like somebody calls me and my friends, my friend will be like, oh my god, I saw you on the show, you were actually funny. Hang out one word from that sentence. Yeah. They go that you were actually funny. I know, funny. that's the thing. <laughs> they were not expecting you to be funny. Yes. But you didn't suck. Wow, yes. that's amazing. Yes. That happened to me like at a stage show a couple years ago. I was like the special guest for this show. Not that they know who have to know who I am. I'm a, like a working, uh, somebody called me a journeyman actor, right? So it's not that you, you might recognize my face. You might not. Probably don't know my name, but I did this show and they're like, and this one lady was like, yeah, I was surprised. He was really funny. I was I'm, like, yeah. why are you surprised? <laughs> I get people who have seen shows that I've done and they go, yeah, I saw that. It was cute. No, I don't that's, know how you react to that. No, 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 that's not that's, good. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do they mean it in a nice way? Or oh, yeah, they, they have no yeah. idea. You take it as, yeah. how dare you? Yeah. But they mean yeah. it in a nice way. Well, hey, before we go any further, we did have a nice breakfast at Black Heart <laughs> Coffee. 
It which, was uh, fabulous. It's a great name for a place, though, right? I love their whole, like, attitude, and they have all these this artwork. They have a Carrie Fisher uh, mural of her holding this giant black heart. We well, talking about Leia. having no self-respect. Black heart is yeah. the name of the restaurant. Yeah. Well, that's- yeah. Look, I had, okay, I had something called, I think it's called the Azalea Sandwich. It's a smoky chipotle sauce. You got uh, some jack pepper cheese, caramelized onions, ham, crispy bacon, pico de gallo, and it's on ciabatta. Yeah, my rabbi wanted me to order that also, but I decided. But you you even said, like, that looks like that's a lot of sandwich. That's a lot of food, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then also I was like, well, I guess the pastries look really nice. So I got a blueberry muffin that had, like, a nice crumble on top of it. And then we split it in half. I didn't eat it all. I mean, <laughs> Split it with who? <laughs> Bob! <laughs> I ate it all fine. One of the I black ate... hearts, I think, were there. And... and he actually ate it all. <laughs> yeah. He ate it all. It was cute. It was, yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. He wasted away to nothing. That's no right. No food. I also had for a drink, I had an iced chai, which, you know, chai, if you haven't had it. It's black tea mixed with sugar and spices, and I like a good chai. I had it cold. It was a nice hot day in L.A. You were very New York. I was very ethnic. Yeah. I was very ethnic. <laughs> yes. I had a bagel and cream cheese. That's right. Yeah. They didn't have, they didn't have egg creams. But I had the uh, bagel and cream cheese. And you had specifically an onion bagel, right? An onion bagel, yes. Is that your favorite type of bagel? Like if you're going to the Western bagel? I am so tired of people asking me that question of what my favorite bagel yeah, is. Yeah, why? Huh? No, no. Oh, okay. Nobody asked you nobody, that? Okay, cool. Then, nobody, yeah. Nobody really cares. What's, so what, top, onion bagel, yeah. Top three bagels. Onion, onion, onion. Onion, onion, onion. That's yeah, it, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. I go onion. And they didn't have it. Oh, they didn't? No. And they had it. An everything bagel. Oh, you got the everything bagel. You had the everything sandwich. I had yeah, the everything bagel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good one liner right there. Okay, so everything bagel. Uh, to me, I guess I'm gonna go sesame seed. I like the toasted sesame seeds on it. It's a little messy, of course, but I always like get every little sesame seed off my pants and still eat them. That's very embarrassing to watch you do that. Well, right? hey, yeah. you know what? Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about the Clean Plate Club on the show. I'm a member. Always have been. Oh, you got the iced tea with the hibiscus. Right? Miss, it said berry on it. I have no idea. Is yeah. hibiscus a berry? I think it was berry hibiscus. The girl, very nice, very mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah. Kept asking me, well, do you want this in it? Do you want that in it? And it just like, it got a little. She should have known. A little you said, much. I want a bagel and cream cheese. Is this where I get the curse? She, All I want is an iced tea. <laughs> you know, she was very nice about it. Yeah. I saw yeah. her smile when we left. Also. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool there. And it's a nice little place to hang out, right? I would describe it as like one of those places where that's the type of place where I would go to write. If I had my headphones on, because there's artwork and stuff around, and I can also just keep going back and getting coffee. That's that's something that's this generation. Yeah. So you do it. Yeah. You open up your computer, your uh-huh. laptop. A few times if I was working freelance, I would go to a restaurant with but we used maybe you've never seen one, a writing a pad. A pen and pen. What is this you speak of? Um, <laughs> there used to be a thing called paper. Okay. And it would have uh, lines on it. And it came mm. in two sizes. Okay. Regular letter size yeah. and then legal size. Mm. Yeah. Legal is, I think, of the measurements. Uh, 11 by whatever. 8 and a half by 11. 8 and a half by 11, yeah. <laughs> That's letter size. Whatever. I'd sit there with a pad, and a lot of times the waiters or the busboys would eventually, yeah. when they saw I wasn't leaving, would come over and say, so what are you working on? Yeah. they all had scripts. They all had movies that hadn't been made. Yeah. Or they, or they all had an audition the next week. So then you take these pads, and what you write on there, you scan it with your phone, and then upload it to your computer? Is that how it works? <laughs> well... 
Eventually, I tell you, when I first started, you used to write it on the wall of the cave you were living in. <laughs> and then yeah. scan that into right. a club that you would carry around yeah. with you. If you are writing now, are you using, like, screenwriting software, like a... Uh, oh, Final Draft? Final Draft, yeah. Something like that. I haven't mastered Final Draft yet. I've tried it, and whenever I would try it, I just was doing something wrong. Yeah. And I lose patience, and I go, I know how to hit the tab key. It is um, a little... It is a little... I don't use half the features that they have. They have like a beat board. It's like, I don't need a beat board. It can be a little frustrating sometimes. On different shows, they would have their own formatting program they wanted you to use for their script. Yeah. And so you had to learn that. But they were never as elaborate as Final Draft. Yeah. Which I'm sure is a wonderful product. <laughs> Anyway, we were talking about our, our breakfast of Blackheart Coffee. It was a cool yeah. place. I think we all, we liked the food. The drinks were good. Uh, and it's a very, like, uh, I think it's a very kind of artsy type place. So check it out. It was, one, it was one of those places that I would walk by or I would drive by all the time during the pandemic. And I was like, oh, it's supposed to open in, like, February. And it just never opened. I was like, is it ever going to open? It's located on Balboa, but not exactly on the corner. And there are like three or four driveways on that corner. And I hit every one of them before I actually found yeah. which one. It's very small. It's very easy to miss. But it was a nice place. Well, guys, if you would like to get more breakfast stuff, such as pics of Bob Schechter and I enjoying our breakfast from Blackheart Coffee, go to my website, brentpope.com. You can listen to all the breakfast episodes there. You can see clips from all my TV appearances and the official breakfast store with a bunch of fun stuff. Shirts, mugs, stickers, masks. Perfect for holiday gifts. People of Earth, do yourself a favor by picking up something from the Breakfast Store. You'll be happy you did. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Breakfast. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Breakfast is being enjoyed all over the United States and in 46 other countries. And trust me, my Breakfast Burrito Brigade, we are just getting started. Special thanks to my editor, the one and only Rosemary Brown, for all the Breakfast Slicing and Dyson. Much preach. Big ups also to my studio engineer, Marco Leon, for making me sound so good. Bob Schechter, all these things I've always wanted to ask you, but like sometimes when you're you just hang out with people, you don't you don't ask them these things. I understand. And <laughs> if you ever do invite me back, I'm gonna bring a black light with me just to see what's on the walls. Oh, trust me, you don't want to see that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not lum not luminol. There's no black light. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we put another Bob Newhart rejection letter worthy episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope in the Hold to Go bag. See ya. Thanks. Man.